It was Sunday, May 19, 1991, just before 9 a.m., when Colin Howell called one of his church elders, Jim Flanagan. He asked him if he would help him search for his wife, Leslie. Colin told Flanagan that she had driven off some time during the night and believed she was with another man named Trevor Buchanan. Jim Flanagan came to his house. Colin held his six-month-old baby while his other three children happily played. He handed Jim a note that he said he found from Leslie. Dear Colin, I'm just trying to go to sleep now. How long? I don't know. Thank you for your help over the past few days and the good times in our marriage. I don't know what to say to you because I don't know how I feel. But I have seen that life goes on after a few weeks of pain. And let's face it, Colin, I am nothing in comparison to what you lost in the one you loved a while back. If I wake up in the morning, just let this be our secret. All my love, Leslie. Colin asked Jim if he would check Leslie's father's house at the Twelve Apostles in Castle Rock to see if she was there. But Jim returned shortly, telling him he didn't see any sign of them. At around 12.30 p.m., Colin called Jim back again to ask if he would check the Twelve Apostles one more time with the keys to get inside. Jim agreed, but had Officer David Green come with him. At roughly 1.20 p.m., they unlocked the door to check the rooms inside. While Constable Green was searching the bedrooms of the house, Jim Flanagan checked the garage. When he lifted the door, he saw the Howells Renault 21 estate car had been reversed in. Barely visible over the steering wheel, Jim was able to see Trevor Buchanan slumped in the front seat with his right hand resting on the steering wheel. One leg was almost folded beneath him in the footwell, while the other was positioned out of the car. He called out for Constable Green and the officer ran to check if Trevor had a pulse. This is when they discovered Leslie Howell laying on her back in the trunk of the car, wearing her headphones. Next to Leslie's body lay three framed photographs, one of Leslie and her mother, another was of Leslie and her brother and their father, and the third picture was of Leslie and Colin. There was no pictures of her four children in sight. There was a strong smell of exhaust fumes, and the key was in the on position in the ignition. Both Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan were dead. A layer of soot covered the trunk with a hosepipe of a vacuum cleaner next to Leslie's head, which was connected to the exhaust. Officers arrived at the scene of what appeared to be a double suicide. Many of Buchanan's colleagues and members of the Colorine Baptist Church were vocal about their doubts that this was some bizarre suicide pact. All of the people who knew Buchanan knew about Colin Howell having an affair with Buchanan's wife. However, the investigating Royal Ulster Constabulary detective and the coroner concluded that the two took their own lives as scorned lovers. Colin Howell and Hazel Stewart would go on to live their lives without their spouses. 
It wouldn't be until nearly 20 years later that the truth of what happened during that fateful evening came to light. In a torrid affair involving the use of mind-bending drugs administered by Colin, betrayal, and a near-narcissistic mutual obsession. Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsinleecrimsonsin.podbean.com. This episode makes reference to suicide a lot, so if you or anyone you know is currently having these thoughts, please know that there are people and organizations that can help you. 988 is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can call, text, and chat confidentially with qualified crisis counselors available for anyone 24-7 for anxiety, depression, suicide prevention, and more. Again, that number is 988. You can also visit 988lifeline.org to find resources and tools to help you. Again, you can talk to a qualified crisis counselor over the phone at 988, or you can also text. Or you could visit 988lifeline.org. These resources can also be found in the show notes. So today's case... We are diving into the shocking case of Colin Howell and Hazel Stewart. There was a show on Netflix called The Secret, which was inspired by the events of this case. When I first started researching this case, I was wondering why it sounded so familiar. And I actually watched that show, so that surprised me. (laughs) So this case truly did surprised me a lot. And it's not just because of all of the cheating that was happening. It was just just from all the signs that this was clearly a case that involved foul play. Yet the investigators ignored all the evidence. I will get into all of the inconsistencies later. Let me know if you find this story shocking also. So as always, let's start from the beginning. There wasn't a lot of information about Colin Howell's childhood. He was born on March 14, 1959, and grew up in Belfast. He is the second youngest child of five children from a deeply religious family. Colin was studying dentistry at Queen's University in Belfast when he met his wife, Leslie Clark, in 1981. She, too, attended the university as she pursued her dream to become a nurse. She also worked on the wards of the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast. The couple married within two years. Not long after the birth of their first child in 1984, the family moved to Coleraine, where they joined Coleraine Baptist Church. It wasn't long before Colin became a pillar of the church community. As Colin began making his way up the career ladder, Leslie decided that she wanted to stay home and raise their three kids. All seemed to be going well for the couple. That was until 1989, when Colin had an affair with an old university classmate. This understandably had an impact on Leslie. It destroyed her confidence, and worst of all, she felt like she couldn't trust her husband. But it wasn't the first time Colin chose which piece of scripture he would live his life by which Leslie was more than aware of. While they were dating, they would often engage in premarital relations. 
He would even convince her to have three abortions in England. It appears that the only thing stronger than his religious convictions was his sexual appetite. However, Colin felt that he would be forgiven for his sins if he continually confessed his indiscretions to his pastor. Hazel Elkin was raised on a farm outside of Omak in County Tyrone with nine siblings. Her parents were members of the Baptist congregation and spent much time at the church when they weren't tending to their dairy farm. Longing for a life away from the farm, Hazel became hopeful when she met 22-year-old Trevor Buchanan when she was 18. Trevor was a Royal Ulster Constabulary, which I will refer to as RCU from now on. He came from a family of RUC officers. Three of his five brothers were officers, and as the youngest, Trevor looked up to his older siblings in uniform. Trevor and Hazel married at the local Baptist church in July 1981. Not long after their wedding, they had two children. Trevor wasn't a devout Baptist, but because his wife was, he was willing to join the church. To many, Hazel was seen as a positive influence on him. He stopped going out drinking with his colleagues as frequently. He quit smoking. And he tried hard to give his family everything they could ever want. But it never seemed like it was enough for Hazel. In 1986, the family moved to Coleraine, settling in the upper middle class Charnwood Park Estate. The family fit right in at the Baptist church, and life was going very well for the couple. But Hazel started to feel stifled at home with the children. She started a part-time job as a nursery assistant at Mount Sandal Nursery in Coleraine. The job provided a shake-up in her normal routines, which appeared to give her a new lease on life. Her husband appeared to be unimpressed by her sudden change in attitude and arguments between the couple became more frequent. Trevor adored his wife and loved his family, but his job as a police officer kept him away from home as he had long shifts. In the spring of 1990, Colin Howell was dropping off his three-year-old daughter at Mount Sandal Nursery his mind appeared to be elsewhere, as his dental practice in Balamony Coantrum wasn't doing as well as he had hoped, and the renovations in the new family home in Knocklade Park were dragging on, which, if you have to do home renovations, you understand how stressful it can be. Nothing is ever done on time or in the time frame you expected, because you always run into problems. So, it's understandable that he was falling on rough times at this point, so his mind was elsewhere. But suddenly, he hears a friendly voice from the classroom that suddenly snapped him back to reality. When he glanced up, he noticed a pretty blonde nursery assistant. Her cheery and friendly attitude made him smile. He recognized her as they both attended the same church. And upon first noticing her there, he just felt that there was something about her. Colin knew he shouldn't be thinking about another woman. His wife had just caught him in an affair a few months ago, but he knew he would see Hazel again very soon. He decided he would not miss church this coming Sunday. 
Hazel found herself looking forward to brief conversations with Colin Howell at the school gate, at the church playgroup, and during swimming lessons. Colin's wife Leslie was pregnant with their fourth child, so he would bring the children to the swimming pool. While the kids were all splashing around and playing in the shallow end, Colin and Hazel would become closer in the deep end. As she practiced swimming, doing a little doggy paddle and such, Colin's hands supported her as he confessed. I'm not having innocent thoughts about you, Hazel. Instead of being mortified or disgusted by his confession or stating, you know, whoa, we're both married, I mean, your wife is pregnant, she simply retorted, well, I'm not that innocent myself. So not long after this encounter, the extramarital affair ensued, which Hazel appeared to be conflicted about. She questioned what just happened as she lay in the bed she shared with her husband, next to someone else's husband. As if Colin knew what was on her mind, he quickly responded, We just had sex. Do you want me to explain it to you? Despite the struggle Hazel felt, the sexual relationship continued throughout the summer of 1990. Howell seemed to provide Hazel with a bit of excitement. After all, he was a high-flying and charismatic dental surgeon, while her husband was just ordinary to her. Which, this part kind of angered me in my research. I mean, her husband was a police officer. His job was probably thrilling enough for him. So coming home to a house that was not full of liveliness was a welcoming treat for the man. Those that have professions such as police officers and the military, they have enough excitement from their jobs. So because they have that excitement, coming home is a safe place for them. I understand that Hazel wanted something more. What type of more, I'm not sure. But I think a family vacation would have been thrilling enough because it would be chaotic with two young children to look after. Even just a romantic getaway seemed like it could have sufficed, but maybe not her appetite, but it would have sufficed other people's, right? The couple, speaking of Colin and Hazel, would regularly meet at Castle Row Forest Park to engage in their affair. By August, she would discover that she was pregnant. Did the baby belong to her dark-haired husband or the fair-haired dentist? Colin told her not to worry. He had been through this before with Leslie, before they were married. He knew exactly where to go to deal with the issue. Colin told her that all they had to do was make up a reason to be away for a night so they could go to London where Hazel could have an abortion at a clinic. Trevor did not question Hazel anymore. They would constantly argue over everything, so between work and the constant bickering, he was drained. He also wasn't surprised or alarmed when he found a note from her that read, Going through a really hard time. Don't worry about me. Don't try to find me. I'll be back in a few days. Love you. When Hazel arrived home the following evening, her husband was glad to see her. While she was only relieved, she had gotten away with the situation. But soon, the cheating couple's luck would run out. 
The next month, Hazel and Colin were spotted in a compromising position by a member of the Coleraine Baptist Church, which they attended. It did not take long for word about this incident to reach Pastor John Hansford. The pastor was already informed by Leslie, who had recently given birth to the couple's fourth child, of her suspicions about all the time her husband was spending with Hazel. So he made his way to Colin's dental practice, which seemed to be doing very well because it was actually busy. His surgery even had state-of-the-art equipment and brand new examination chairs. After promising their conversation wouldn't take long, Colin ushered the pastor into an empty room. Pastor Hansford didn't beat around the bush. He got straight to the point and asked Colin if he was having yet another affair. Colin was upset by the sudden accusation and adamantly denied he was cheating on his wife again. However, the pastor left the dentist's surgery unconvinced. After leaving the dental surgery, he made his way to the Buchanan's house to ask Hazel if something was going on between her and Colin. Pastor Hansford stated, She mentioned that Trevor was an ordinary guy and reflected on her own childhood and upbringing, which she said was restrictive. She said that she wished Trevor was more of an exciting husband. The pastor told her that her husband was a really good guy, often seeing him around town on duty, talking to the public, and doing what was a first-rate job protecting the country. He further stated, I told her he may not be the exciting husband she wanted, but in terms of faithfulness, he was not to be despised, but cherished. Hazel drove the pastor home when she finally broke down in tears and confessed that an emotional affair had begun with Colin, but she had denied it became physical. So the pastor went to the Howells' house, where he found Leslie watching their children and prepared her with what he learned before Colin arrived back home from work. The pastor and Leslie then confronted him with his lies Absolutely devastated that he was caught in a lie, he repented to his wife and pastor. Leslie started the healing process by going to sunbed sessions by herself, dyeing her hair, dieting, and going to an aerobics class with her friend. She confided in her friend that Colin had been giving her tablet. The friend recalled, she said she was fine. He was looking after her. It was later revealed that Leslie was taking her husband's secret stash of prescription-only temazepam sleeping tablets. While his wife busied herself with making herself feel better, Colin decided to spend more time at the church and try to return to his respected position within the inner circle. While Hazel and Colin were abiding by the church-imposed restrictions on communication with each other, Trevor and Leslie found comfort in one another as the scorned lovers. After all, they were both cheated on. Both of them came out of this feeling like they weren't good enough spouses. Trevor felt like he wasn't good enough to Hazel, and Leslie felt like she wasn't good enough to Colin, they thought that that's why their spouses were cheating on them. Trevor stated that he was absolutely gutted upon learning of his wife's sordid affair with Howell, but both spouses 
insisted that they wanted to reconcile and wanted their marriages to continue with help of counseling provided by their preacher. During these counseling sessions, the couples would discuss their relationships and the things they thought could have contributed to their problems. Four months after the affair was revealed at the start of 1991, Colin offered to meet with Trevor in front of the pastor so he could apologize to him face to face, which I found this interesting because we can either take this for Colin's word that it was merely an attempt to apologize for placing himself in between the couple, or we can look at it as an attempt at a power play. Like, sure, Colin wanted to be a good Christian, or just a good person, but from all of his indiscretions, I think it is safe to say that he did not play by the book. So, the image was nothing more than a facade. What do you think his motive for this was? Do you think he did it just so he could have a good moral image in front of the church's inner circle? Or do you think he was sincerely apologizing? It was reported that Trevor never had bitter words towards Colin. While he probably wished to never cross paths with the man who pushed his way into his marital bed, he didn't seem the type to wish Colin any ill will. The fact in Trevor's mind was that he could never measure up to a dental surgeon. It was actually stated that Trevor was so non-confrontational that he waved Colin on at a police checkpoint on one occasion, so he just, he didn't have to face him. I mean, could you blame him? Could you blame him for that, though? I mean, I wouldn't want to look at the person my spouse cheated on me with anyway. <laughs> but Trevor went ahead and met with Colin in front of their pastor, so Colin could apologize. After a 30-minute discussion, Colin apologized and begged for his forgiveness. Trevor accepted and shook his hand. With the counseling session appearing to be a success, Pastor Hansford left for a six-week trip to India. The pastor was confident that the healing process from this betrayal was underway. But before leaving on his trip, he had a couple of words for Colin. Hazel is doing well. She moved on. And so should you. This little statement seemed to unsettle Colin. Apparently, the thought of her moving on did not set well with him. So one day in March, he wanted to put that curiosity to rest. He called her, holding his breath as the phone rang. When Hazel was glad to hear from me, it was like coming up for air. She had told him, I will love you until I am old and gray. And just like that, the affair started again. Colin was able to sneak out of the house while Leslie slept, giving his wife tranquilizers that she would wash down with glasses of red wine. After knocking his wife out, he would either jog or ride his bike through the woods by Mount Sandal and enter Hazel's garden through the back gate. Trevor was working nights, so both knew that they wouldn't be disturbed. Trevor appeared to be in a better place, often downplaying the affair in conversations and telling people that he wasn't perfect either, but he was glad to be back in the marital bed. By April, Leslie had tried to forgive Colin, but it was very difficult for her. She simply couldn't bring herself to forgive and forget. After all, this wasn't her husband's first affair. So every time Colin left the house, 
Leslie was suspicious that he went to go see Hazel. One such instance, Colin explained later. A confrontation developed over me being late back, and it continued. There was an iciness in the house, and Leslie put on her dressing gown to get ready for a bath. Leslie carried the cassette player into the bathroom to listen to music as she tried to relax. She was beginning to connect the plug at the top end of the bath, and I said she better not set it there because it could fall. At one point, I sat on the edge of the bath. It was a dark moment, and she wouldn't let go of the argument that I had contacted Hazel. A thought went through my head. I want you to shut up. And I thought, if I threw it in, I would kill you. Although I had no intention of doing that, I showed Leslie the plug. I was in control. And with the unsecured loop of the cable, I flicked it across her back, then dropped the plug on the floor where it made a noise. Leslie looked at me. There was a pregnant pause and a shift in power. I was about to take power, and I wanted her to realize that. I flicked the cable and walked out of the door. However, Leslie remembered the incident differently and called a friend to discuss it, telling her, I'm telling you this in case anything happens to me. So after the deaths of their spouses, Colin and Hazel remained seeing each other for nearly five years. However, according to Hazel, due to her Christian guilt, she stated that she could only have sex with him after he had sedated her with drugs from his dental surgery. Eventually, Hazel decided to try to move on with a man she dated in her teens named Trevor McCauley. But she also cheated on McCauley with her future husband, former chief superintendent with the RUC, David Stewart. She met Stewart at the gym that Macaulay paid for her to attend. Hazel and David got married in the summer of 2005. Colin Howell also decided to move on with his life. In December 1996, he met Kyle Jorgensen at a Christian singles night that was hosted in his own home. Kyle was an American expat who had moved from New York with her two young children after escaping a tumultuous marriage. By 1997, the couple was married and had a baby the following year. Over the next 10 years, Colin and Kyle would have three more children. However, one day when Colin's oldest son, Matthew, was in St. Petersburg for university placement for his undergraduate language course at St. Andrews, he accidentally fell to his death. Colin felt that this incident was a punishment from God for everything he had done. On the morning of January 29th, 2009, Kyle called the church elders asking them to come to their house. The church elders knew that this would be listening to another one of Colin's confessions of being unfaithful to his wife. Again, he had been unfaithful a number of times throughout his marriage to Kyle. However, the confession they expected continued with more nightmare-inducing acts the dental surgeon had been hiding for years. After admitting to numerous affairs, he continued telling the elders that he had lost hundreds of thousands of pounds on a scam and that he owed a lot of money to patients and the revenue. 
He further told them that he had committed a sin when he allowed his first wife, Leslie, to have three abortions before they were married, and that he had also been with Hazel when she'd had an abortion during their affair. Although, he also had other women from his other affairs go through the same trauma. He then admitted that he had molested his patients while they were under sedation between 1998 and 2008, explaining these actions by stating that he he just could not help himself when it came to his sexual urges. But at the end of his confessions, while his wife recited biblical verses as they sat at the table with the baffled church elders, Colin finally confessed to the worst sin. He had killed Leslie and Trevor and made it all look like a double suicide. Once he finished his confession, the church elders immediately called the police. Colin was taken to the police station where he finally revealed the truth about the deaths of his wife and his mistress's husband in May 1991, and that he did not commit the crime on his own. So this is how the murders took place. Colin and Hazel met each other on May 14th, 1991. He told her that he had a way to get rid of their spouses so they could be together. Colin didn't go into a lot of detail, but he said it would look like a suicide. All he needed Hazel to do was make sure Trevor was sedated, open the garage door, move Trevor's car out of the way, and cover for him afterward. That's all she needed to do. Sounds like a long list to do. But Trevor was an RUC officer who carried a firearm. Colin needed to ensure that Trevor wouldn't wake up while carrying out their plan. So he handed Hazel a packet of tamazepam and instructed her to crush them up and hide them in Trevor's food on the night of his plan. On the night he chose to carry out his plan, he got everything he needed ready while he was setting up his son's slide, which was a birthday gift, in the garage. He cut a baby bottle and adapted it to fit snugly over the exhaust pipe of the car. Leslie was sleeping on the couch that night. After connecting a hose pipe to the bottle, he led it to the living room. His wife was in a deep sleep, most likely due to something her husband gave her, and he placed the hose pipe next to her face. Then he went back into the garage to turn on the ignition of their car. He stood outside the living room, watching through the partially open door to make sure the hose pipe stayed beneath the duvet. But as the exhaust fumes funneled into Leslie's face, she started to stir. Afraid she would wake up, Colin took a deep breath and rushed into the room to pull the blanket over her head. When he did this, Leslie cried out for their eldest son, Matthew. This is a memory that Colin said still haunts him to this day. Once she stopped moving, Colin dressed her before carrying her out into the garage and placing her in the trunk of the car. Making sure to recoil the hose pipe and detach the baby bottle from the exhaust before putting them in the car too. He then draped a white sheet across Leslie's body before throwing a bike on top of her. Then, in a split-second decision, he grabbed three photographs and her cassette player. It was roughly 1 a.m. when he called Hazel, hanging up before the first ring and waiting for her to call back. When she called back, 
He told her he finished with Leslie and was on his way. When he arrived at Hazel's, he got out of his car and walked towards her. Opening the trunk, he removed the hose and bottle as he gestured to the sheet and told her, That's Leslie. Then he asked her if Trevor was definitely asleep, which she told him he was. So Colin proceeded to attach the bottle and hose to the exhaust and walked through the kitchen towards the bedroom, placing the hose next to Trevor's head before returning to the garage and turning on the car, executing the same method he did moments before. When the deed was done, Colin dragged Trevor's body into the garage, telling Hazel that everything would be fine. He handed her the hosepipe and bottle, instructing her to cut them up and burn them in the fire before she cleaned the bedroom. Colin then took the bike out of the trunk, lifted Trevor's body on top of Leslie, then covered them both with a sheet and threw the bike back on top of them. Colin drove to the Twelve Apostles in Castle Rock, reversing the car into Leslie's father's garage. He put on a pair of surgical gloves, opened the trunk of the car, and pulled Trevor to the driver's seat. He returned to the trunk removing the sheet from Leslie's body, carefully arranging the framed pictures and placing her headphones over her ears with her favorite gospel music playing. He then attached a vacuum hose to the exhaust, feeding it into the trunk before closing it over to ensure it stayed in place. Colin then threw the sheets into a black bag along with the gloves and jogged to the beach, returning to where he left his bike. He rode home, burned the evidence, and called Hazel to tell her everything went according to plan. So this is where all of the inconsistencies come in, and all of the discrepancies within this case. So there were many signs that this was foul play, and the officers on the scene just overlooked. Whether it was due to willful ignorance or just incompetence, some of the investigators pointed out these flaws, but the ones in charge just dismissed them. Firstly, Colin prompted the search of the house in Castle Rock. He made numerous attempts to direct the people to the garage where his victims were eventually found, claiming his wife might be there. But detectives failed to ask him why he thought the garage should be at the center of the investigation. When I was researching this, I had the same thought. Why would she have gone there? We can assume that she decided to go to her late father's house of her own volition because she knew no one was there, but it is still a question that any good investigator would have asked. Secondly, the photographs. In a split-second decision, Colin had picked up these photographs to make it seem as though it were the last image Leslie wanted to see before she slipped into her never-ending sleep. At least two of the photos were facing away from Leslie. And if this incident was a pact between Trevor Buchanan and Leslie, why weren't there any pictures of the Buchanan family? As for me, I thought it was odd that there were no pictures of Leslie's children. Third, the position of the driver's seat where investigators found Trevor was not right. Trevor was a much taller man than Colin, who drove his body and that of his wife to the garage in Castle Rock. 
Howell pushed Trevor into the driver's seat, but neglected to slide the seat back first to allow enough space for Trevor's legs to fit in properly. RUC photos showed his leg was found hanging out of the car, and the car door was open. If this were a joint pact and Leslie had driven the car, Trevor would have moved the seat back just for comfort, because why, why would he cram himself into that tiny space? The fourth sign that was looked over was Leslie's shoes. After murdering her, Colin quickly clothed Leslie, but was unable to get her shoes on properly. So they were only partially on her feet. According to reports, the officers did not question why her feet were only partially inside her shoes. The fifth sign that this was murder was the fact that the two victims were in separate places in the vehicle. If this had been an agreement, why was Trevor in the driver's seat and Leslie in the trunk? If anything, this would have made Trevor look suspicious. If this was the only inconsistency, this would probably only make Trevor look suspicious. But it is strange that Leslie would be in the trunk instead of in one of the front seats. Sixth, post-mortem photographs showed injuries on Trevor's mouth and nose and what appeared to be blood coming from the back of his head. At least two people raised concerns about the injuries at Trevor's wake. If this situation had been a mutual agreement, then why would one of the victims appear to have been injured only moments before the incident took place? Howell later stated that there had been a row earlier between Trevor and someone else, I guess. So the RUC accepted this. Number seven, Colin had injuries also. He had a gash on his forehead and told investigators that he had bumped his head. He literally just said, I bumped my head. And they accepted it. They didn't investigate how he got his injury. So it was later made known that he had suffered this injury as he overpowered Trevor, who was struggling and fighting for his life. Number eight, Colin's accounts of Leslie's movements the day before were wrong. Numerous witnesses who had seen Leslie the day before she was murdered challenged Colin's recollection. But instead of questioning it, the RUC dismissed this during their investigation. Number nine, the details of Colin and Hazel's affair were well known, but the officers still accepted them as credible witnesses in the investigation. Tenth, Leslie's friends gave the RUC information that Colin had been medicating her. However, they never investigated these claims. Eleventh, Leslie's friends also gave the RUC information about the incident involving the electric cable and the bath. The investigators also dismissed these claims. Twelfth, the Howells were having financial issues. Despite the fact that it was known that the Howells were having these financial difficulties, the RUC did not look into this information any further, even though Colin was expected to gain a big payout. So the 13th sign that foul play was involved was the blood on Trevor's shirt. Investigators never brought the shirt in to be examined to see whose blood it actually belonged to. So they said that Trevor was bleeding out of the back of his head, so I guess they assumed that it was his. But 
As Colin and Trevor both had injuries, the blood could have been, could have belonged to either one of them. Number 14, one of the serving RUC officers brought claims to the investigators, but they didn't look into these claims either. And lastly, Leslie's note. There were discrepancies in the wording and phrasing of the handwritten letter, because it really didn't sound like a suicide letter, right? So it was later determined that Colin saved this note from Leslie and decided to use it as her suicide note. With so many issues within the investigation, it is hard to figure out if the lead investigators of the RUC were ignorant or if they were just incompetent. Let me know if you think that they were incompetent or if you feel they were just being ignorant or if you think something else was going on? Let me know in the comments. So what was the reasoning behind this act? Even though it is not a favorable choice, both partners could have easily gone through a divorce instead of committing a heinous crime. But both murderers made a substantial financial gain from the deaths of their spouses, who were both heavily insured. Two weeks before Leslie was murdered, her father had died, leaving behind a substantial inheritance. This also allowed Colin to paint his late wife as an alcoholic, self-medicating, unfit mother who took her own life, overcome by the grief of her father's death. The ruse seemed to work because the officers deemed the incident a suicide. Colin gained... 414,000 pounds, which is equivalent to $521,101 today from his wife's will, insurance policy, and the endowment from her father's estate. Howell also told police that Stewart was very high maintenance, a statement that her then-husband confided in relatives and Baptist church officials when he stated that he could not provide Hazel with the life she had craved. Still, Trevor had no desire to further his career and earn more money because he was happy in his place as a constable. So Hazel's financial desire was made even more evident as it was made apparent that she had undergone a number of cosmetic surgery procedures. And it was also made apparent that she had an expensive taste with her now husband, David Stewart, as she would also show up to parties in elaborate ball gowns and wearing expensive jewelry. And she just always seemed to prefer the expensive material things in life. During Coleraine Crown Court, Colin stated that the abortion strengthened their bond during the affair. It was like a blood contract, which we had secretly signed together, of the murder of an unborn baby. It was a huge bond. It did not make it better. Two years after he married his second wife, Colin revealed his guilt to her. He made arrangements to bring the two families together at a hotel in Newcastle, County Down, make his confession, and then turn himself over to authorities. He stated that Kyle was shocked by his confession and told him he needed to go to the police, but that's not what happened. 
He told the jury that he had undergone a religious conviction after meeting a woman at a Sunday night church service where he claimed she had told him all of his sins had been forgiven and forgotten by God. Then he and his wife decided it would be better to keep his guilt a secret for the sake of their children. Which I don't know about you, but I don't think I could live with that as a partner. I mean, he admitted to murdering his wife and his mistress's husband. So what would stop him from doing the same thing to his current wife? So me personally, I would have told the police and just ran for the hills. He also referred to himself as the mastermind of the entire plot. When asked if it was true that he controlled Hazel, he had agreed during police interviews in 2009 that Hazel was frightened of him and that she was kind and innocent and easily led. As Colin was cooperating with police officers, it later dawned on him that Hazel was setting herself up to be a victim. But to be fair, she never objected to the plan of murdering their respective spouses. Colin further stated that Hazel had been waltzing in time, and she had always been in perfect harmony with him. He explained that he had been the lead, but she had always been in perfect harmony with him and did not drag her along the floor. He also said that the last thing he wanted to do was make things worse for Hazel. Which, I understand this. He is fussing up to the murder, and I'm sure he would have taken all of the blame. But she didn't even attempt to hide the fact that she didn't have any intention of going down with him. I think if she showed him any remorse or empathy at this point, there was a high chance of Colin taking all of the blame. But then again, he did say he realized that Hazel was not his responsibility. Colin was also quoted as saying, I believe... Any human being has potential to do what I did, but I did it. That's what sets me apart from most of humanity. Dr. Helen Harbinson, a specialist psychiatrist, stated that Howell had drugged Hazel before they had sex as an experiment to see if he could do the same to his patients. Colin admitted to drugging Hazel during their six-year relationship, as well as sexually assaulting three patients in his practice who were under sedation. However, he denied using laughing gas or injecting anesthetic on Hazel prior to their relations to find out what he could do to patients. He claimed to have used drugs on Hazel to help her suppress the guilt she experienced having sex with him after the double murder. Hazel would later comment, Even when he was taking me to the surgery and gassing me, he was experimenting on me and I knew that. How could I stop it? My self-worth was on the ground. I was holding a secret that no one knew about. Most of the time, I just wanted to die. I wanted it over. I didn't care if he gassed me. I didn't care because my life was not my own life. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. So Hazel's legal team focused on the sexual depravity that lay behind the facade of of Colin's respected professional and religious life. In 15 taped interviews with detectives, Hazel claimed that she was terrified of Colin 
Anne was another one of his victims, claiming to be a vulnerable woman enticed into the dentist's evil web. During her police interviews, she stated, He was very controlling. Maybe I was easy prey. And that's how I look back on it, and I see that. He's a very calculating person. A very clever guy. I was scared. I thought, if I say something against this, he'll kill me. Hazel maintained that she was forced to help dispose of the pipes throughout her trial, purely out of fear of what Colin may do to her or her children. She also continually stated that Colin controlled her. He decided and planned everything. Also reflecting back, she stated, I don't know if it was love or fear. He had control over me. It was like I was his little robot. Continuing, she said that she hated Colin and that he was capable of doing everything. She was scared for her children. She also stated, I want to say sorry to Trevor's family. My guilt was horrendous. My shame. But many had claimed that it didn't seem like she had any guilt. She seemed very remorseless about the actions she allowed to happen. On February 3rd, 2009, Colin was charged with two counts of murder and later 17 counts of indecently assaulting six women at his dental office. That December, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 21 years. The only time he was allowed out of prison was when he testified against Hazel in court. He is said to be a model inmate at Magaberry High Security Prison. He was also granted a temporary release in 2018 to attend his father's funeral. It is said that he has been writing a children's book of fables. While Hazel tried her best to paint herself as the victim in court, the jury of nine men and three women refused to believe her, finding her guilty of what the prosecution described as an act of gruesome extermination. The judge even commented that she had every opportunity to stop the murder of her husband, but chose not to. She was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of 18 years at Hyde Bank Prison. Hazel is expected to be released in 2029. Husband and former policeman David and her children, fathered by Trevor, Lisa, and Andrew, have vowed to stand by her, insisting she is innocent of murder. Colin is expected to be released in 2031. Colin lost his NHS pension of nearly 590,000 pounds, which is roughly $742,632, after sexual assault convictions. Second wife Kyle also filed for divorce upon his arrest and moved the family to Florida to free the family of Colin's legacy. And that's it for today's episode. What did you think about today's case? Do you think Collins and Hazel's sentencing was fit for their crimes? Let me know what you think in the comments. If there are any details missing, or if you have any requests, make sure to write them in the comments. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, everyone, and I will see you for the next episode. Bye!